This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This past summer, John Ostrauer went on a test flight. He writes about aviation, so this isn't entirely unusual. He used to cover it for the Wall Street Journal and now runs a website called The Air Current. But the technology that he was testing, that's the amazing part. He was in a small private plane, a Piper M600, flying at about 3,000 feet. And he was with the company Garmin. It makes GPS systems. I said, hey, press the button. And the button on the dashboard says emergency auto land. You press the button and it starts talking to you. It says emergency auto land activated. Please remain seated. We're landing at the nearest airport. And the airplane takes over. It will fly you to the nearest airport. It will fly around weather. It will put the flaps down. It will lower the landing gear. It will go into a holding pattern to descend if it needs to. It'll find effectively a GPS approach to fly the airplane right to the runway. So I'm sitting in this airplane. We're coming down through the clouds pop out underneath the clouds, and we land right on the center line of the, of, of the runway. It all just happens. Not a single interaction from, from a human. How did you feel relying on a computer to do all of that? Well, that, that's, that's the craziest part of it. It, it felt totally, it felt unremarkable. It, it literally felt, uh, it was just, it just did everything. It was it was amazing in how unremarkable it was. What John experienced was kind of Jewish, futuristic, almost Jetsons-like technology. And seeing that on a big scale is years away. Still, automation is a part of every flight you take today. There's no question that it's made us vastly safer. But it's also introduced new layers of complexity in how we design planes, train pilots, and react when something goes wrong. You've probably heard about the problems with the Boeing 737 MAX. Two crashes killed 346 people, grounded the plane worldwide, and put the company's CEO in front of Congress this week. Before we uh, start today, I'd like to speak directly to the families of the victims who are here with us. On behalf of myself and the Boeing company, we are sorry, deeply and truly sorry. But it's not just the max. Today on the show, automation in the air, both its promise and its price. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's say you're a person who gets on a plane, I don't know, once, twice a year. When that plane is flying, what is a person doing and what's a computer doing? So... Contrary to popular belief, they're actually, you know, you say, oh, well, the, the, the airplane can fly itself. Modern airliners, the ones that, that, that we get on every single day, large commercial aircraft, do not fly themselves. So every single takeoff that is done anywhere on Earth is not done by a computer. It's done with human hands. It's done with crew making decisions about what is going on with the aircraft at that given moment and flying the airplane. At the same time, that crew gets a lot of help from what John calls augmentation. It's not full automation like that self-landing plane. It's more like a digital nudge. If you're driving a car, there's kind of an expectation that if you're on a highway, you're not going to be in, you know, going 110 miles an hour on the shoulder of, of the highway. The expectation is you're going to be in your lane and you're going to be driving at a, at a safe speed and you're going to be abiding by the rules of the road. So they design systems that effectively protect the airplane and the pilot from getting too far outside of what's known as the envelope, the normal operating envelope of flying the airplane. So we're talking not too high, not too fast, not banking dramatically, all those kind of things. Precisely, precisely. So, you know, there's all these different augmentations that, that, are, that are taking place that we don't see, but have demonstrably made flying considerably safer. Despite the undeniable increase in safety created by automation and augmentation, there are exceptions. Most notably right now, the crashes of two Boeing 737 MAXs and a piece of software called the MCAS that played a key role in both accidents. New evidence today from the flight recorder of an Indonesian jetliner that crashed last month reveals the pilot's battle to save the plane, a 737 MAX 8. According to the plane's flight data recorder, a new anti-stall system known as MCAS kept automatically pushing the nose of the plane down. That last thing the reporter mentioned, the MCAS, that came up a lot in Congress this week. What's the MCAS? This is the thing that has come up yeah. in the hearings. People are talking about it in the crash. It sounds scary, I think, to people who don't know what it is. MCAS is the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System. When Boeing built the MAX, it basically used the same body as an old 737, but added big, new, fuel-efficient engines. But the big engines made the plane fly differently. So what Boeing found was that these bigger engines, they actually nudged up the nose just a little bit more. So when the nose was pointed high in the air, what's known as high angle of attack, you're slowing down, you're slowing down, there's a risk of stalling. So Boeing put a computerized system in place, the MCAS, to make the MAX feel the same to pilots who flew the older 737 and correct for this high angle of attack. A sensor that monitors the angle was now responsible for automatically correcting it when there was a risk of stalling by pushing the nose of the plane down. So flash forward to October of 2018. Lion Air 610 is taking off out of Jakarta. The sensor that it was tied to was faulty and miscalibrated. This activated the MCAT system in normal flight. That's the, the 
the MCAS system did not fail. I think that's really important to remember. The MCAS system actually performed exactly as it was designed. But with the failed sensor, it was getting bad data. It said that the nose is too high, so it kept pushing, pushing the nose down. And it wasn't until uh, you know, the, the, the control was actually handed off to the co-pilot to try and resolve what was going on that the, that the airplane ultimately lost control and crashed, killed all, all the folks on board. Committee on Transportation Infrastructure will come to order. This week, Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg went in front of Senate and House committees to answer questions about the company's role in the crashes. Well, we're here today because 346 people, sons, daughters, fathers, mothers, died on two MAX aircraft within a five-month period. Congress focused on evidence that Boeing knew about problems in the MCAS system and didn't act. How did you not in February set out a nine-alarm fire to say, we need to figure out exactly what happened. What does accountability mean? Are you taking a cut and pay? Are you working for free from now on until you can cure this problem? These people's relatives are not coming back. They're gone. Your salary's still on. It's not about the money for me. That's not why I came Are you giving up any money, Congressman? When you or I watch these hearings, we see a CEO trying to explain what went wrong. But when John watches them, he sees something else an echo down to some of the smallest details of a crash that happened 40 years ago. You wrote this story on your site about a crash in 1979 that has some strong parallels to what is happening with the 737 MAX. Can you tell me about that? What happened? So in in 1979, uh, the McDonnell Douglas DC-10 was taking off from Chicago O'Hare Airport uh, on its way to L.A. When the airplane took off, the, the engine separated. There was a, a break in the, what's called the, the engine pylon. The crew ultimately loses control of the aircraft um, because when the engine separated, uh, it actually uh, disabled the, the hydraulics on the, on the leading edge of the wing. So essentially, one side of the, the airplane was developing more lift than the other. So the airplane rolled to the left and uh, the crew lost control. Uh, the airplane stalled and all, all aboard were killed. At, at the time, it was actually the worst aviation, aviation accident in U.S. history. John says, of course, the loss of the engine contributed to the crash. But it wasn't the central reason for it. There were indications in place that could have warned the pilots of the problem and allowed them to react. That indication was never activated, nor was the stall warning system activated. And in those days, there was only one on the aircraft. A second system the second redundant system was not installed because it was actually an additional cost option on the airplane. You know, we see this playing out again with what, what's going on with Boeing and the 737 MAX uh, around, you know, optional safety features that are available for added cost that, you know, when you take a really hard look at it, probably would have contributed to helping avert these crashes potentially. Back in the in '79, there were the blue ribbon panels and reviews that were convened that effectively concluded the exact same thing as the panels that were convened in 2019. You know, it's there's that there wasn't enough oversight on the FAA. The FAA wasn't uh, able to communicate uh, effectively with the manufacturer. The FAA didn't have the expertise, and that ultimately the manufacturers were overwhelming 
those delegated to actually do certification work. So, you know, again, these are the same patterns that are that are repeating. You can take the verbiage even that that all of the reviews were were producing in in um, seventy nine eighty, and put them in twenty nineteen, and they read identically. Wow. He says it's not just the fallout from the Boeing and DC-10 disasters that connects them. It's what happened in the cockpit, in those crucial moments before each crash. When we think about aviation safety right now, how should we be thinking about automation and where that runs up against humans and how we make decisions? I think we, we've reached, to some degree, the, the limit of the ability for humans to interact with technology in a way that reflects our own ability to react and adapt to a situation. When you bought your car, your knowledge of the features of your car are effectively driven almost entirely by what the dealer told you the features of the car are. It, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily give you a good picture of, of what's going on with your automobile, especially when you add all these new you know, lane assist and, and adaptive cruise control and all these different features that people are accepting saying, oh, hey, great, I've all got this, all this you know, additional augmentation and automation in my, in my vehicle. And what happens when – and this is the same in aviation, by the way – what happens when the driver or the pilot has to take over – very, very quickly when this automation fails. And that's a really human behavior. That's called the startle factor. And that is what we've seen over and over again, um, certainly in aviation. When that happens, that's when that's been the source of a lot of different accidents, very, very large accidents. This is a remarkably safe system, but the crashes that we have seen in recent years have really focused on what happens when automation stops and humans begin in terms of how to actually operate without the automation. If you try to hold in your mind the idea of the Garmin system landing a plane on its own and something like the MAX crashes, it seems like this collision between lots of automation and technology, and yet a place where you want the best trained pilots who can deal with a complete loss of technology. Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing about the MAX situation is that what you ultimately had was, was a pilot who was dealing with an automation philosophy that, on the one hand, was rooted in, in 1967. So literally, you know, when the airplane was first first certified. And also additions and augmentations that have been made throughout the life of the airplane over 40 years. So literally, you have a pilot whose, whose brain is literally split trying to understand all of the different alerts and problems that are not well communicated uh, while dealing with this extra layer of automation. And I think what it tells us about the philosophy you approach when you come to this new level of automation is that you have to look at it from a clean sheet of paper to some extent. And there's going to be a limitation for how much you can incrementally add automation on an existing system because eventually it's not the same system anymore from, from where you started. And if you're asking a pilot, for example, to have one foot in 1967 and another foot in 2019, it's not going to work. 
John Ostrower, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. John Ostrower is editor-in-chief of The Air Current. Okay, that's our show. What Next TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and hosted by me, Lizzie O'Leary. It's part of the larger What Next family. Mary Harris will be talking impeachment later today, so keep an eye out for that episode in your feed. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.